Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So I make no bones about it. I believe in the church. Not because I'm a pastor and it pays my paycheck, okay? I believe in the church. I I love the church, and I think it's because God loves the church, and that he has called us as his people uh, to be the extension of his grace in this world. That, uh, that, that, God, that the, what God desires for his church is that every church be a radiant, beautiful expression, growing in grace and expressing his grace in this world. I believe that's what he has called us to. And I think that's the picture that Paul paints for the church when he writes the Ephesian church. But sadly, sadly, that is not the picture that most people have of the church. Either those outside the church or sometimes even within the church. That is not the picture that we have. And so a couple of years ago now, we, we just decided when we, we read a book called Unchristian. We talked about how most people outside the church view the church as being judgmental, hypocritical, uh, homophobic, you know, all these things. And I said, you know what? We need to change the way people view the church. And so three or four years ago, we just decided that is our motto around here right now, that we are going to do everything we can to change the way that people view the church, which requires that we understand what it looks like to really be the church. And so that's why we're going through this series in Ephesians, because the Ephesians is really, that book of Ephesians in the New Testament is really just a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church, a church in a city called Ephesus. And in that letter, he talks to them about who they are and what they're about to do. And so we've been going through this um, uh, one week at a time, a little section at a time. And, and one of the big things from the first week is we discovered that the church is a really a big deal. It really is. It's a big deal. It is the expression of what God is doing in this world. And when you become a Christ follower, you become a part of something bigger than yourself. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And there was a little two-word phrase in the introduction of this letter that Paul kept referring to, in Christ, that we are now in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we have been given a new identity. We have a new community, um, a new family, if you will, and we have a new purpose. Last week, we looked at this idea of, okay, now now that you're a part of this, this thing called the church, he says, be bold. Be bold. Be confident in your faith. Uh, um, be bold in sharing. Be bold in how you live it out. And, and so we looked at, there was another two-word phrase that we looked at last week called, so that. We are in Christ so that, okay? We have this new identity so that we might do the work that God has called us to do. Today, we're going to look at a third aspect of being the church, and it's all about being gracious. And there's another two-word phrase that you're going to find in this section that we go through, and the phrase in various forms is simply this, but God, but God. It's what God has done, and that's what makes all the difference. That is the basis of grace. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and today actually we're going to go through the whole chapter, um, so it's a little bit lengthy, um, but just kind of follow along. And, and Paul tends to write in long runoff sentences. That by the end, you get to the end of the sentence, you go, what did he say? Okay, so I'm going to do my best to try and read it in a way that you can understand it and it makes sense to you. Um, and if it helps to just listen, that's okay too. But if you want to follow along, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what Paul writes. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them 
at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, and here it is, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And that's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, here it is again, but now in Christ you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility." He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Long section. I'm going to try and break it down a little bit and unpack it for you this morning. But it really comes down to what we've been talking about, that we are now in Christ with this new identity and this new family, this new community for a purpose. And like we said last week, he wants us to be bold in that to be bold in our faith, confident in what God is doing in our lives and confident in sharing that with other people. But he says, and it's almost as if, in fact, we talked about this last week, the whole idea that being bold doesn't mean being obnoxious or irritating, you know, or all those other things. Being bold has to do with being confident. But it's almost like Paul understands that when we talk about being bold, we might get a little carried away. So he says right on the heels of being bold, he says, but also be bold, but be gracious. Be gracious. One of our core values around here as a church is that we would be a grace-filled community. And I'm going to tell you, that's not easy. That takes constant vigilance. That takes great understanding and hard work sometimes. Because unfortunately, so often in the evangelical church, there is not a lot of grace. Oh, we talk about it. We preach about it. We say we believe in it. But when it comes to how we interact sometimes with each other and with those outside the church, we're not very gracious. In his book, Philip Yancey's book, um, What's So Amazing About Grace, he quotes um, a a therapist, a, a counselor by the name of David Siemens, who also happens to be a Christian. And he summed up his career this way. 
He said, many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness, and the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. We read it, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but it's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated to the level of our emotions. So today I want to talk about this whole idea of being a grace-filled community. Because that's what Paul says is, it's not what we've done, it's what God has done for us. And if we are going to be a grace-filled community, that means on every level to each and every one of us, we need to understand how to live grace-filled lives, how to be gracious. And so today I want to talk about that. I want to start with this idea, to live graciously, to be grace-filled. It starts with this, remember what it is that God has done for you. That's where Paul starts. And he starts with some pretty emphatic words. He says, as for you, you were dead. Let me say that again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Let me stop right there because that may not hit you with the same intensity that Paul intends. Because I think when we, when we read that, we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And intellectually, we say, yeah, yeah, I was dead. But actually, not really. You know, that actually I was a pretty good person and, and God was kinda hand, God's kind of lucky to have me on his team. And when we think of, when we read those words, you were dead, we kind of think of, along the lines of Miracle Max. Anybody here remember the movie, The Princess Bride? Anybody see that? Okay, if you didn't, let me give you a quick update on it. And the hero of the story is a guy named Wesley, and he is there to rescue this princess bride. But Wesley was captured by the evil duke, and he, was, uh, he actually was put in a torture chamber, and all the life was sucked out of him. And his friends find him, but he's dead. And they, what they say is, um, we need a miracle. And one of the guys says, I know just the person. They take him to Miracle Max, okay? They bring him into Miracle Max. They lay him down out in front of him there on the table. And he looks, you know, deader than anything. And Miracle Max says these words, I've seen voice. <laughs> you see, it turns out your friend here is only mostly dead. And mostly dead means he is still slightly alive, Okay, And I think when we think and we read these words and we say, you you were dead in your transgressions, what we think of is, well, I was mostly dead. I wasn't really dead. Okay, I was, there were still some redeeming qualities about me. I'm still a good person. I still tried my best and all of those things. So, so yeah, I was dead, but, but not really dead. I was only mostly dead. And Paul says, no, no, you were dead. D-E-A-D, dead. What part of dead don't you understand? You were dead, which means you had no life in you. When it came to your relationship with God, when it came to your spirituality, you were dead. You might have thought you were alive, but you were dead. I was dead. No hope. He says, without hope, without God in the world. That was our predicament. We had no way of fixing ourselves. We have no way of of enlivening ourselves because we were dead and dead things can't make themselves come alive. And Paul says, understand that. In fact, if you don't understand it, let me explain it to you. He said, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now, does any of that sound vaguely applicable to you? I would dare say most, if not all of us in this room, still struggle with those very things. He says, you were dead. 
dead in your transgressions and sins. But God, but God, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See, that's the thing. He says, you didn't do anything. You didn't deserve any of this. It is only because of God's love and God who is rich in mercy, in his kindness, in the kindness of his grace, he reached out and he loved you even when you were dead. Understand that. You did nothing. It was God who made you alive in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You were totally passive in this whole thing. I was totally passive in all. It was what God did because of his love. Not because I was lovable, I was dead. But because of his love and the richness of his mercy and the kindness of his grace, you were made alive. It all was his work. And that's why, by the way, that's why baptism is is so important because it is symbolic. It is symbolic of the burying of that old life and rising to a new life. That's why we celebrate baptisms around here, because of what they represent. They represent that now I am in Christ, and so that old life is dead and buried, and there is a new life that I have now. Think about this. Baptism is something somebody else does to you. You can't baptize yourself. You can't go out to the pool, dunk your head under, and say, I'm being baptized, because it doesn't work that way. See, it is all what somebody else does. It is symbolic of the fact that this is what Christ has done for you. He has buried that old life and has given you this new life. And that's why we celebrate baptism. In fact, we have a baptism next week. And if you have not been baptized, maybe that's the big thing. You need to understand how dead you were so you could be given a new life. He says, that was your predicament. But God in his love did something. See, I, 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 I never cease to be amazed at those of us who have received the grace of God can be so ungracious to other people. Because it is only what God has done for us. How can we dare feel better than anybody else? It should not rise pride and arrogance in us. It ought to humble us. And the church is the expression of God's grace in this world. And if we don't understand what it is and don't remember what it is that God has done for us, we will be a lot less gracious and a lot more critical and judgmental of other people. Paul actually wrote a letter to the pastor of the Ephesian church. His name was Timothy. It's also recorded in our Bible. It's the end of, the Bi- of our Bibles. And, and, and it's this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. It's his first letter to him. And here's what he says to Timothy. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, teach your church this. This is what your church needs to understand. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. All of us need to be able to say this saying. This is what the saying is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now he says, this is a saying that requires full acceptance, which means you and I all have to be able to say this. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to say this. So this, because it deserves full acceptance. So here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Say it with me. 
Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, you got a little bit quiet on that I am the worst part. So we're going to try it again, okay? And when we get to the I am the worst, I want you to shout it out because this is the truth about you and me. All right? Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am worst. Yeah. If we forget that, we will not be very gracious. This brings us back to what makes us right with God. Brings us back to grace. Secondly, recognize what it is that God is doing in others. Recognize what God's doing in others. He goes on, he says, you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise. But now, here it is again, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What he's saying is that we are all a work in progress. And when he talks about this idea that you were far away and brought near, what it implies is direction. It implies movement. It implies progress. And we talk about this a lot around here, that we are all people in process. We're all moving in a direction. But your walk is different than mine. And your issues are different than mine. So it's not going to look the same. The whole idea is not where we're at. It's where we're going. It's the movement. It's the direction. About a month ago, I watched a, a TV program. I think it was, on, it was either on the Learning Channel or Discovery Channel. It was one of those channels that kind of show these odd kind of programs. But the title of the program, I believe, was My 600-Pound Life. Um, I don't know if anybody else saw it. But it was really kind of a semi-documentary of this woman who had actually weighed over 600 pounds. And, and the, through a whole process with doctor's help and all kinds of things, she actually was able to start losing weight. And she actually got to the point, she got down to 400 pounds. Now, you may not say the whole lot of difference between 600 pounds and 400 pounds. But at this point, when she got down to 400 pounds, she was finally able to get on a plane and go to a family reunion. She still had to buy the two seats and they had the double extension on the, on the seatbelt. But they followed her on this trip to her family reunion. And they follow her, and she's in the airport, sitting in the waiting area, and she's in tears. And she's in tears, and she says to the cameraman or to the interviewer, and she says, you know, I see the stairs. I see people looking at me, and I know what they're thinking. How can this woman let herself balloon to 400 pounds? They don't understand that I was once 600 pounds. They see an overweight 400-pound woman, and they look with scorn on me. They don't understand. I've lost 200 pounds. And it it brought tears to my eyes, because I thought, you know, we so often do that. We look at where people are, and we make judgments about them, and we make criticism about them, and we talk about them behind their backs, and we do not recognize where they have been and how far they have come. And the message of grace is that we are all people in process, and we've got to be able to recognize what God is doing in each and every life, and that walk looks differently to you than it does to me, but it is still God who is at work. And we need to recognize that, and we need to affirm that, and we need to encourage each other forward in that walk. Back when I was in high school, I attended a, a, a youth seminar, and there was a couple of us from our youth group that went and attended to it. 
It was like a whole weekend long deal. And at the end of it, we got a graduation button. And it was all about how God works in our lives and all of these different things. And at the end, we got this little button. And on the button were these simple initials, P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. That was our graduation button. What it stood for, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. You couldn't fit that all on a button, so you got the initials. But it was the reminder. It was the con- something that has stuck with me all of my life. Be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. And I need to be patient because God isn't finished with you yet. What Paul is saying is that there is both a vertical and a horizontal purpose to what Christ did on the cross. He made us alive in Christ. He restored that relationship for us with God. But what he also did is he transforms the relationships that happen on a human level. And that's what he goes on and writes about. He himself is our peace who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now you need to know a little bit of historical background here because in the Ephesian church, it was made up of both Gentile believers and Jewish believers. And what you need to understand is there was a great deal of animosity between Jews and Gentiles. A great deal of animosity. They had nothing in common. They were different ethnically. They were different culturally. They were different theologically. They were different religion. In every way, they were different. And now they're all brought together into this church in a city called Ephesus. And Paul says, what you need to understand is God is bringing together his whole creation, and you are a part of this work, and that's part of what it means to be the church. And God has, through Christ, destroyed that wall of hostility. Now, what he's referring to most likely is in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple had a lot of different sections to it. In the innermost court, it was called the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go once a year. Outside of that, there was the holy place. Outside of that, there was a, a larger court where, where sacrifice was offered. Outside of that was the court of the women. And outside of that was the court of the Gentiles. And if so, someone who was a Gentile became a convert to Judaism, they were allowed to temple, but only so far. And actually, in the 1800s, archaeologists unearthed um, a, a section that actually was a sign that forbid Gentiles from going any further. And what Paul says is, in Christ, he's torn down that wall. That which used to separate us physically, that which used to separate us culturally, religiously, all of those things that used to divide us He's done away with by the cross. And that's why learning to live in grace and be gracious to one another is so vital because it's at the heart of what God is doing in this world. He goes on. He talks about his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Now, here's the thing. If a Gentile became a convert to Judaism, one of the requirements, if he was a male, was circumcision. That was a requirement because circumcision was the distinguishing mark on a follower of God. To be one of God's people was to have been circumcised. And so now the church comes, and, and 
Jesus Christ has torn down this wall. And one of the biggest issues, one of the biggest issues in the early church, in fact, if you read through the New Testament letters, Paul probably addresses this in every one of his letters to different churches because it was an ongoing issue. The question was this. If circumcision is the mark of those who are God's people and a Gentile now becomes a follower of, of Jesus Christ and becomes one of God's people, does he need to be circumcised? And that was a really, really big issue. In fact, it took, it took years for them to, to hammer this out. And even when they made the final decision, it took years to work it out. In fact, it was such a big issue. It was such a big dividing issue that they actually called a council in Jerusalem. And they had people and apostles from all over come because we got to settle this issue. This, is, see, this wasn't just a cultural issue. This wasn't just an ethnic issue. This was a religious issue. This was a theological issue. And they, and, they, and they talked about it, and they discussed it, and they prayed over it, and they shared what they had experienced, and, and all of these things. And they finally came to the conclusion that, no, if you become a Christ follower, he has done away with that old way. You do not need to be circumcised. And all the Gentile males of age said, hallelujah! <laughs> <laughs> but it really was a huge, huge issue. Because that was the distinguishing mark of the people of God. And they decided, no, that is no longer the mark. Now, the mark of the people of God is grace. It's the cross. It's what Christ has done for us. And if they could resolve that issue, I don't think there's any issue that we might face that could divide us that we cannot overcome by the power of God's grace. But we need to remember what it is he's done for us and we need to recognize what he's doing in others and take it one step further. Let God do his work in all of us together. Because see, that's where it happens. It happens in community. God's work in each of us is unique. In fact, Paul writes about that in verse 10. He says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that word handiwork, the Greek word is actually poema, which is where we get our English word, likely the word poem. And it has to do with something that is, that is, a, is a work of art. It is not something that is mass produced. It is something that is thought through. It is something that is handcrafted, if you will. And that's what some of your translations might say. You are God's masterpiece or, or you, are, uh, you are God's handiwork. The idea is this, that none of us look exactly the same. We are not mass produced. Christ followers are not mass produced. We are not clones. We are not bricks. We are living stones. And we are all different. And your walk is going to look different than mine. And I shouldn't expect you to live up to the standards that I am at in my walk with Christ because yours is not going to look the same as mine. We are all moving in the same directions, but we are all in different places in that walk. And our goal is, in grace, to help each other keep moving forward. And we do that in this new community that God calls his church. Consequently, he writes, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. What he's saying is, he works in us individually, but he works in us together. And that takes a great deal of grace. And that is messy. Because people are messy. 
and we come together like we did, like we're doing this morning, and we come from messed up lives, messed up emotions, messed up behaviors. We're a mess. That's why we need grace. And as you read through Scripture, you find there are a lot less black and whites and a lot more gray areas. And it's in the gray areas that grace works. It's in the gray areas that God does his work of grace. And it seems to me that sometimes in the church we talk a lot about being saved by grace, but then once you're in, we demand a lot of performance. And we need just as much grace to live by as we needed to be saved by. And so it's, it's, it is absolutely imperative that a church be gracious, that we individually be gracious with one another. Paul assures us we can do this because it's in him. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now we can, we can relate to that because we got a building project going on right over here in the corner, okay? And, and, and week after week, people come and go, wow, I was gone one weekend and look how much is being done. Man, this thing is going up fast. And I'm just going to tell you right now, in a couple of months, in about a month or so, everything's going to slow down. Because all the stuff that you've been seeing going on in this building project, that's the stuff that shows. But in about a month, all of the interior work is going to start going on. And there's going to be plumbing pipes running. There's going to be electrical wire pulled. And all that stuff's going to be behind walls, and you will never see it. All the stuff that's going on right now, that's the stuff that you see. But I'm just warning you, for a couple of months, it's going to look like nothing's going on. You're going to come here week after week, and you're not going to see one bit of change. Because what's happening is the real work's being done on the inside. And so it is with God's church. There are some times that we will see in ourselves and see in each other great progress. There'll be a lot of stuff that shows. And then there will be times where it looks like nothing's happening because all the work's being done on the inside. But he says, God's doing the work and you are a part of it. And in him, this wonderful building is rising. The church for 2,000 years has struggled with all kinds of issues, many things that divided, but it still stands to this day. And 2,000 years later, what God started through Christ continues and continues and continues. And the work happens in each of us individually and it happens in us corporately as his church. But it's him who is doing the work. And we need to let him do the work. And the work that he does is a work of grace. So he says, be gracious. Be gracious. Do you bow your heads with me? We are all in desperate need of grace every one of us. Fortunately, he is rich in grace. He doesn't give it out a little at a time. He gives it out freely. He doesn't hold it back. 
He offers it over and over again. And we need that. We need that every day of our lives. And it may be that you're here this morning and you don't know God's grace. For you, this has all been about performance. You have been trying to earn God's favor. You've been trying to do enough good things that he would think well of you, that somehow he would love you because you proved how lovable you are. And I'm going to tell you, it's never going to work because you're dead. What you need is a new life. Jesus talked about it to a man named Nicodemus. He says, you need to be born again. And if you don't know the grace of God and you've just been trying to perform and and work this out and make God love you by being a good, good person, here's the good news. He already loves you. And his grace has already been extended to you. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. And that's your, your part is simply to trust him. So if you're here today and you have never experienced his grace, you've never received his grace, you've been trying to perform all of these years, today I'm going to invite you to take a first step of faith and just simply say, God, I need you. I need your grace. My past, my present, my struggles, my issues, I can't fix this. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I am letting go and I'm putting my life in your hands and I want you to change me from the inside out and teach me how to follow you. If you've never done that, you can do it in a very simple prayer today. And if you'd like to, I'd like to lead you in that prayer. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Would you just raise your hand, hold it up, and as you do, catch my eye because I want to recognize you. Yeah. 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 So this is the simple prayer. Lord, would you take me with my faults, with my failures, with my mistakes, with my sin, and would you wash wash over me in your grace? Forgive me, renew me, restore me, change me from the inside out because I'm tired of trying on my own. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. I'm letting go of the controls. I just want you to change me from the inside out and just show me how to follow you. And I will, by your grace. Now, maybe you're here today and you know the grace of God. Your trouble is being able to express that and find ways to do that. Because the truth of the matter, if you were honest enough with yourself, you would say, I tend to be a little prideful. I tend to be kind of arrogant. I tend to be critical and and, and um, look down on others. I tend to be a little judgmental. And I don't like that about myself, and that's got to change. God, I need your help. I want to be more gracious. And if that's your prayer today, same thing, would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment so I can acknowledge you and pray for you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, all over the room. Yeah, 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 yeah is so imperative that we get this right. So Lord, knowing that we are forgiven and accepted by your love, by your mercy, by your grace, we want to learn how to extend that grace to others. That we would not be prideful or arrogant, that we would be not critical and judgmental, but we would just simply remember what it is that you have done for us and look for what you're doing in others and commit to doing it together. 
Change our hearts, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. And for his kingdom's sake, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. You made a way for the world to